and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. All right, so today we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and I'm not sure what my iPad's doing. If you want to go, there it goes. And so we're going to be talking about uh, the builder and his household is sort of the metaphor that the writer of Hebrews uses in this passage. And so what we're going to be looking at is what is it to be a member of the household of God? Um, Who is the builder? And then kind of the other thing that this passage really challenges us to do is to evaluate what has our attention. Uh, What are the most prominent thoughts that we have? Uh, That's really what this passage is going to drill in on is what is, if you were to look back at this last week, what was the number one thing that dominated your thought life? Like what was the number one thing that you paid attention to or thought about? Um, and there's a lot of things vying for our attention, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you spend a lot of time on social media and the things that are, you're seeing on the screen are, are, are grabbing your attention. Maybe you're paying attention to what's going on in the news. Uh, neither of those things are bad things until they dominate your thought life, right? Uh, maybe it's a, a relationship that you have with somebody that's not going the way that you hoped that it would, and so you're, you're really thinking about that relationship a lot. Uh, maybe, maybe there's something going on within your marriage. Maybe one of your children isn't doing what you would hope, or your grandchildren. Uh, you know, maybe you're caught up in politics, and so politics are really at the front of your thoughts all of the time. There's a lot of different things that could grab your attention. If you were to look at the last week and say, what are the number, what was the number one thing I paid attention to? What would it be? And what the scriptures really tell us over and over again is that the number one thing God wants us to focus on is the person and work of his son, Jesus. And so as we go through the book of Hebrews, what the writer is doing is he's reminding us of how great Jesus is. And so in the beginning of it, it talked about how he is a a revelation that is new and beyond all previous revelations. Uh, What happened through the... um through the Old Testament with the prophets and the writings that we had there through the law. Those things were all great, but God has now spoken to us in a new way, and that is his son. And we want to listen to his son. Uh, And then so he describes how Jesus is greater than angelic beings, that angelic beings are actually something that are created by Jesus, that he is God and always has been, and angelic beings were made to serve him. Um, that human beings are, are lower than Jesus as well, though he joined us in our humanity. He actually made himself lower than angels for a short period of time by joining us in our humanity. And he did that so that he could become a high priest on our behalf. He did that so that he could offer up his own life as a once and for all sacrifice to pay for sin, to make us right, to give us atonement with God, and to allow us to be his children. That's what he's covered so far. And so what he's going to talk about today is he's going to transition from talking about how Jesus is greater than angels to how he's greater than one of the number one people in the Old Testament being Moses. And so the writer, again, he's writing to people that have made a decision to follow Jesus. These are Christians from a Jewish background. And what they're being persecuted and persuaded to do is to fall back into the old way of worshiping God through the law. And what the writer is reminding them over and over again is how Jesus is better than the things that were in the Old Testament and how the Old Testament really pointed to 
Jesus. So that's where we'll, what we'll look at, how Jesus is the builder, how he is greater than Moses, and how his household is being built. Let me pray, and then we'll look at these verses. So Father God, I pray that your word would be very clear through me this morning, that you would make your son obvious to us, um, who he is and what he's done on our behalf, that you would teach us to meditate on who he is, that we would learn to fill our minds with what Jesus has done for us, uh, that we would look at him and we would see who he is and what he has done and take the time to go, he truly is greater than everything else. And so if he's greater than everything else, then, then all these distractions, I should put them beneath him and actually learn to see the distractions through what he says is true. Father, I pray for those here this morning who have not made a decision to trust in your son Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that today they would see how great your son is, they would recognize their need, and that they would believe on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have salvation. Father, I pray that you do all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So take a look at here. He says, therefore, so he's pointing back to what he's already said, how Christ is greater than angelic beings, how Christ has uh, become the high priest who has saved us from our sins and made us right with God. Because of that, holy brothers and sisters or brethren who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so he says, Consider Jesus, and this really is what he wants us to do, is he wants us to be thinking about Jesus. And the word that's used here is contemplation and understanding, or meditation. You hear that meditation, you might think of something Eastern. An Eastern meditation is to sit and empty yourself. Biblical meditation is to focus on Christ and his work and fill yourself with him. That's the idea that's going on here, is to fill our minds, fill our lives, fill our hearts, fill the direction of our life with the person and work of Jesus. And not just any old Jesus, but the Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of our culture, not the Jesus of a cult, not the Jesus of our imagination, but the Jesus of the scriptures, right? That's what we want to fill our minds with. And so we need to turn to the Bible for these things. It says that Jesus in the scriptures, he is the apostle, our apostle. And what that means is a sent one of the Father. Jesus sent his apostles, his disciples, just as he was sent. That's what he says in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. He says, Father, just as you have sent me, I am sending them into the world. And you and I as followers of Jesus Christ now find ourselves as sent ones to carry the message of who Jesus is and what he has done. But Jesus is the sent one for atonement. Atonement being a, the idea of how do we become at one with God. There's a wall between us and God. There's sin between us and God. There's a, a certificate of debt where we owe God because of our sin. And how do we get right with God? How do we become close to him? Do we break down the wall ourselves? Do we climb over the wall through our own self-effort? Or has Christ torn it down? Has he paid the certificate of debt once and for all as he cried out from the cross, it is finished. And so we look at him as the sent one for being atoned or made right with God. 
says that he is the high priest. And so his self-sacrifice, it washes away sin. When we talk about atonement, there's two parts of it. There's expiation, which is the washing away of sin. And then there is propitiation, which is the satisfaction of the requirements of the law or God's wrath, his hatred of sin. And so Christ has done both of those things for us. We recognize that without him, we would have to pay the debt of our sin. But Christ has paid it for us and he has washed it away. We recognize that in a righteous and just system, when wrong is done, there's a cost for it. And in order for the law to be satisfied, the cost has to be paid. Christ pays it. He washes away sin. He propitiates or or covers us with his grace and forgiveness so that the law is met and we become free from the consequences of it. We're forgiven. So he has done that as the great high priest. So consider Jesus. Meditate on who he is and what he has done. He is the sent one of the Father. He is God in human flesh. He has joined us in our humanity. He has acted as a a representative for us on the cross. He died in my place and for my sin. And because he died in my place and for my sin, I am freed and forgiven. Consider who Jesus is. Meditate on this. And then he also says some things about us. But before, the word of God, it urges us to fill our minds with the person and work of Jesus. The world urges us to fill our minds with anything else, right? And so here's this question again, what fills your thoughts? And, and as, as you think about what fills your thoughts, maybe God is going to identify something for you where you go, this is the number one distraction for me. It is my kids. It is my marriage. It is my job. It is money. It is what our culture says about sexuality versus what the scripture says about it. It is this philosophy. It is whatever it is for you, God might reveal that to you. And what you need to learn to do with that thing, that major distraction, is not to just stop thinking about it. But how do I think about this with Christ being first? So how do, how do I think about what our culture says with Christ being first? How do I think about my marriage with Jesus being first? How do I think about being a good student with Jesus being first? How do I think about my workplace with Jesus being first? Right? And so that's what we want to learn to do. Not stop thinking, but think with Jesus leading. Okay? And so that's what, we're, wanna lear- what we want to learn to do. Then he also says some things about us. He calls us holy brothers and sisters. He says that we share in a heavenly calling. And then he talks about our confession as Christians. And so what Jesus has done for Christians is he's created a close bond. We have become brothers and sisters. We've become a family. Now, does that mean that everything's always going to be perfect between us? Come on, you have brothers and sisters. That's not how that works. But it's not that everything's going to be perfect. We, we may make mistakes. We may accidentally hurt each other. Uh, we may not see eye to eye. We may have to correct one another. These are things that we may need to do in our relationship with each other. It's not that it's always just going to be really, really easy. But instead, we're going to allow Jesus to lead our relationship with one another so that his kingdom grows. And that's really what it's about, right? It's about our confession, which is agreeing with the divine revelation that God has given to us, right? God has spoken through 
the prophets and through the law, but now he has spoken to us through his son. And so our confession is an agreement with the divine revelation of who God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we live to move. That's our heavenly calling is to grow. Uh, our salvation is given to us to know God and to make him known. That's why we live on the planet earth as, as human beings who are in Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters. We live so that his kingdom moves forward. And we want to remove anything that would get in the way of that so that his kingdom can keep going. And that might be something in our personal lives. That might be something in our marriage. That might be something in the way that we deal with our finances. That might be something in our work relationships. It could be any number of things that get in the way. But we share in this especially close association or relationship. It's different from all others because of what God has done for us. Here's the other part of this. Is that there's no such thing as a holy unbeliever. There's no such thing as someone who is a brother and sister in Christ who has not believed in him, right? And so then the question that you're gonna run into in this is whose household am I a part of? Am I of, the, of a household of, of fallen human origin or am I of the household of God because Christ has saved me and brought me into it? And so those are the things that he says about us. He calls us to live in this way. He goes on, and he says, he, that's Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was in all God's household. And so faithful to the one who appointed him. What he's drawing out here is this is the beginning of the comparison between Jesus and Moses. And to a first century Jewish person, this was a very important thing. They made statues of Moses. They, they memorized the books of the law that he wrote. They really looked up to Moses. And for good reason. If you look at him within the scriptures, it's, he, he says that he has a very special relationship with God. That he saw God and interacted with God in a unique way. And so there, there's a little bit of looking at him with reverence and awe. But what the author is going to do is he's going to show us how Jesus is so much better. Both exhibit faithfulness to the Father, but from different roles with different responsibilities. Moses' role and responsibility was not that of Messiah or Savior. Sure, he led the people out of bondage, but he did so through the power of God. And so what we see is he's foreshadowing what the Son would do, but he is not the Son. And this phrase, God's household, that was a common way to talk about being a part of God's family, who, uh, whose household do you belong to? Are you a part of the family of God because you've trusted in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Are you trying to get there by your own work and effort? Um, we view ourselves here at Hilltop as a home for the growing family of God. And what that means is, as individual Christians and as a corporate group, we want to grow in our relationship with God. Christians should be growing. Like, if, if you haven't seen, if you just think, you know, I, I raised my hand, I did the salvation prayer, that's it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a consistent growth towards Christ, learning to think like Him, allowing His Word to permeate the way that we live. And, and so it's an ongoing transformation of growth. Uh, but that's what it is to be a part of, of God's household. Whose household do you belong to? For Jesus, comparing him to Moses, is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. And so he says he's considered worthy. Uh, and so this word consider in the first verse had to do with meditation. Here it's talking about deeming someone worthy based upon their character and actions. And so what he's saying is he's saying based upon Jesus's character and actions, he's greater than Moses. Moses was really something, but compared to Jesus, 
He's just a foreshadow. He, he did amazing things for God, and, and he's deemed worthy of, of consideration, of adding up who he is in a special way, but Jesus is more. And then he says the reason why is there's a builder and a house, and the builder deserves more honor than the house. And so Jesus is equated with being the builder, Moses the house. Both are important, uh, but one is clearly deserving of more reverence than the other. Uh, Yesterday, we got some, well, we've had the chickens for a while, and and they've grown up, and so it was time to get them out of the sunroom because it smelled really bad. And uh, and so we, uh, I I worked on a chicken coop yesterday, and it is... uh, Nothing to look at. Um, it's, it's not real fancy. But if you walked up to it and saw the chickens in it, you wouldn't think, wow, look what they built. Right? You know that somebody else built it. And that's what he's saying here. Is he's saying that we are the bird brains and God is the master planner. Right? We, in comparison to God, we're We're nothing. But if you look at who Christ is and what he has done, it's truly amazing, right? And so that's what he's drawing out here is that the builder is deserving of more honor than the house. He goes on, uh, but what he's showing us here is that there's two types of consideration in these verses. One is meditation, filling ourselves with the person and work of Christ. The other is estimation, and that's collecting evidence and deciding that Jesus is greater than all others. Have you done this? Have you collected the evidence on who Jesus is through the scriptures and deemed him worthy, greater than all others? Have you tried to go somewhere else to find salvation? Did it work? Right? There's one who can save us. His name is Jesus because he is God in human form, because he has gone to the cross, because he has paid the cost of sin once and for all with his own life so that we could be saved and freed and given new life. Now, both of these things, meditation and estimation, are essential to a transformed mind and a steadfast faith. If you want to have your faith be solid, it's important that on a regular basis, God's word, I would say daily, is impacting your mind. Each and every day, we want God's word impacting the way that we think. We want to be not conformed to the world around us, but transformed by the word of God. Um, And I shared this with you last week. Studies have shown that people who are in the Bible one time a week, no real difference in the way that they live. Twice, still no real difference. Three times, still can't really tell the difference. People that are in the Bible four or more times a week, they show that that is somebody who is living a transformed life. Now, what I'm I'm not telling you is if you go, well, he said four times, so I'm going to do four. I'll get them all done on Monday, (laughs) and, and I'll live a transformed life. What it's really telling us is that people who long to know God are being transformed. And how do we long to know him? Through his word. And so uh, it's not that I have an equation for you to grow. It's that if you want to grow, go to God through his word and he will transform you. Okay? And so it's truth I need, not another cliche. Your word is my hope for a steady faith. And that is so true. And so we don't want to deal in Christian cliches. We don't want to deal in cute little stories. We don't want to avoid the hard stuff. We want to let God's word produce a steady faith in us. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is imploring us to do. He's going to go on and talk more about how Jesus is greater. Every house is built by someone, but the one who built it, who built everything, is God. And so again, you get this real simple logic that uh, 
Moses was, was amazing. In fact, in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible, his name is mentioned the third most to David and Jesus, right? So Moses is really, really honored within the scriptures and looked at as a type of Christ and someone that we can learn from. But ultimately, he's there to point us to Jesus. And so Jesus is greater. The other thing that we can learn from this is that it's good and right to look at the lives of of great men and women of faith, but it would be foolish to idolize them before God, right? This is where, you know, you get into venerating people, and I'm not so sure about it because venerate means to worship. And so I I don't really think that there's a lot of wisdom in that because we want to worship Christ, not people. And so the other thing that we get from this is that we, we really want what we do to be about pointing to him, Um, And there are many great stories of Christians over the years that are worth reading and growing your faith through how the word of God impacted those people. But it wouldn't be wise to go, well, Moses did this, this, and this, and so I'm gonna do my very best to be like Moses. Or this person within church history was really amazing for these reasons, so I'm gonna do my best to be like that person. That's not what Christianity teaches us. It teaches us to walk in the footsteps of Christ to follow him and to allow him to transform us. It's not that we can't learn and grow from those stories, but ultimately our eyes are fixed on Jesus, not people. He goes on, Moses was faithful as a servant in God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. And so Moses is a servant here. And when you look at the scriptures, there's a couple different words that get translated servant. One of them means slave. That's not what the writer of Hebrew uses here. He uses a word for servant that is a position of nobility under the one who appointed them. So Moses was in a position of nobility under the authority that God had given him as a covenant mediator between Israel and God. Now here's a really interesting thing is that in the New Testament, it says that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. So this position of nobility is actually transferred to us as followers of Jesus Christ and we live under the authority of the king of kings and our goal is to make, again, know him and make him known. And so Moses was a servant of the son, a type of the son, but not the son of God. And the other thing you see here is that ministry is not intended for our notoriety, but in order to point to the glory of God. If you get into ministry because you want attention, that is the wrong reason to be there. Uh, we, we get into ministry because God has, and, and, and don't think ministry is like what I do. I mean, this is ministry that God has given me, but he has one for you too if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's gonna look different based upon the gifts that he gives you, the spiritual gift mix that he has, the passions that he puts on your heart. But he's gonna gonna employ you as a minister of the gospel, not for your notoriety, but so that others would be blessed through you and Jesus would be glorified. That's the point right? And so anytime you see an individual or you feel yourself striving for notoriety within ministry, that's really not of God because the goal of the ministry is to point to Christ, not for our notoriety. And that was a, that was a message to the people who were looking at Moses as too important. And maybe you have somebody in your life that you view as too important. Maybe it's yourself. But But that's not what ministry is about. It's about the glory of God to magnify Christ. 
Verse six, we'll break it into two parts. He says, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. So the point here is that Jesus is greater. In a household, the son is greater than the servant, so Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, the Mosaic law, we learn in Galatians chapter three, verse 24, that the Mosaic law was given to the people of Israel in order to teach them their need. It was to be a tutor that led them to their need of a savior. This is really important because what you understand about law or a group of rules, maybe you don't, you know, like nobody in here probably follows the Mosaic law. We had shrimp scampi last night. Wouldn't fly. Right? No, probably nobody's following that, but we come up with different rules and laws. Right? And so what we do, when you put yourself under a law-based system, is you say, I will follow this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, and maybe they're even really good rules. But what putting yourself under a system of law will do is bring you to your knees, not elevate you. Because what a law does is it, a group of laws shows you is your imperfections, not your perfections. If you think, well, I follow all these rules and I have it together, it's... it's you know, a whitewashed tomb is what Jesus called the Pharisees. You look real good on the outside, but on the inside, you know you're falling apart. And so that's what a law-based system does. It's intended to drive us to our knees, not lift us up. And this is important if you're a parent. Because as a parent, if you're going, here's all the rules, kids. I expect perfection. And when you mess up, boy, are you going to hear about it. Right? Yeah, you know that's funny. <laughs> You're just going to crush your kid. And if you put your kid under a, under a system of really strict rules, you're going to get one of two things. Um, a know-it-all Pharisee who thinks they have it all together or somebody that rebels really hard against you. That, that's what you'll get. You'll get a know-it-all Pharisee who thinks they have it all together or somebody that rebels really, really hard. And so we don't want to do that. Instead, what we want to teach our kids is that though the law was given through Moses, the divine son, through Jesus, we receive grace and truth. We receive undeserved favor. Here are the rules. And yes, they are important. And God's ways are what they are on purpose. And we should strive to follow his ways. But when we mess up, the sin is already paid for. And his grace is sufficient to cause us to live differently in the future. It's not that we back off of the truth of what God says to be right and wrong. It is that when the truth isn't adhered to, we look to the cross for forgiveness and we look to the spirit inside of us for empowerment for the future. We're being taught to live like Jesus, not expected to get it perfect. So Christ was this faithful son over the household, giving grace and truth. He is greater than the law. And then here's the... The exhortation to the reader from the writer of Hebrews in this passage, he says, and we are of that house, or we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. And so the exhortation to the reader is the word if. And he says, if you want to live well inside of God's household, there's three things you need to do. You need to have confidence in what Jesus has done. You need to have hope in what he's going to do, and you should be boasting in how he's transformed you right now, right? I have confidence that in the past, Christ has dealt with the penalty of sin, and it is paid in full. And there is no more penalty for sin. 
I have confidence in that. I am a child of God, not based upon what I have done, but what Christ has done for me. I have hope in the future. My hope isn't built in this world. To live as Christ, to die is gain, because the world that he's preparing, the house that he has, is building for us, is so much better than what this world is. And so I'm here to, to know him and make him known, but I can't wait to get to the heavenly kingdom. Right? I long to be there. I have hope in what he will do, eradicating the power of sin. But I boast here and now because when I am empowered by the Holy Spirit, the deeds of the flesh are put to death. The old person that I used to be, full of anger, full of anxiety, full of all the things that I, that I can be in my flesh. The Spirit of God, he overcomes those things. He puts them to death. And I become a new creation who thinks and lives and loves and does everything different because of, what, of who Christ is within me. And so that's what we do as Christians. God's household has disciplined faithfulness to Jesus. Now, you could look at that and go, all right. He said, read the Bible four times a week. And he said, confidence, hope, and boasting. I'm going to make my list, and I'm going to keep it. But that's really not the idea. Right? Because then you're putting yourself under another group of rules. Well, I don't, I don't know that I feel like I have hope in the future. So I, I guess I'll just fake it. I, I don't know if I feel like my, my, my sin has been paid for, so I guess I'll just pretend. No, what he's calling us to do is to, again, consider Jesus. Right? If I'm struggling, believing that my sin is truly dealt with, should I let it rule me? No. I should consider Jesus. God made man who walked a perfect life and died on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven. I need to consider Jesus. The world around me is falling apart and I just don't feel like there's, there's any hope. Consider Jesus who has promised that he will return. And he's faithful to fulfill the promises that he made in his first coming, he'll be faithful to fulfill the ones in his second coming. So I believe and I know that based upon who he is and what he's done, I can count on him. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. See, he's not giving us a list of rules to follow. He's telling us that if you know Jesus, you'll be confident in him. He's telling us that if you know Jesus, you'll have hope in him. He's telling us that if you consider Jesus, if you meditate on his person and his work, and you've added up who he is and consider him greater than all others, you'll boast in what he's doing in your life today. See, there's freedom here. Not the bondage of chains and rules, but the freedom of relationship and security in Christ. So as you think about applying this, you could say, is Jesus the center of my thoughts? What gets in the way of him being so? What would you say the number one distraction for you is? And again, if the Holy Spirit brings this to mind or it was just obvious to you, what you wanna do is you wanna take this thing and say, God, will you teach me how to see this through your eyes, through your ways? That's what we want to be able to do.
How can I meditate on Jesus this week in order to fill my mind with his person and his work? Maybe it's waking up and having a cup of coffee and reading some scripture. Maybe it's prayer before you go to bed. Maybe it's a prayer journal that you keep. Maybe it's a podcast in the car on your way to work. Maybe there's just one worship album that is really speaking to you right now, and so you're, you're listening to that on your way to work. And whatever it is for you, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a Bible study on Monday night with a group of Christians where you can share what you're processing about Jesus and what's going on in your life. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's, you know, the 35 minutes I'm giving you here this morning isn't going to do it. We've got to meditate Jesus throughout our days. And then if I take in the time to estimate Jesus' greatness and put him before all others, how could I tell? Have you done this? Have you taken the time to look at your need, your brokenness, and your sin, and to say Jesus is the only one that I know of. He's the only one sufficient in his person and in his work to remove sin from my account and to give me new life through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, if you do that, if you say, Jesus, I I trust, Father, I trust that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins. They're washed away and done with forever. I'm now justified before you in terms of the law, what is right and what is wrong. And through Jesus' resurrection, I believe that I have new life. If you believe that, you call on the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And so today could be your day of salvation if you haven't done that. You trust in his person, who he is, his work and what he's done on the cross. You believe that you're saved by what he's done. You believe that he's risen from the dead to give you new life. You will be saved. Today could be your day of salvation. How could I tell that Jesus is first in my life? I heard a pastor say one time that one of the quickest ways to know if Jesus is first in your life is go through your transactions on your bank account. If he's not a part of the process of how you spend your money, it'll be really clear to you. Um, You could look at your social media feed. You could look at your browser history. What am I filling my mind with? Would they indicate that Jesus is first? Um, What are the number one TV shows that I'm putting into my head? What, What kind of music am I listening to? Are they drawing me closer to Christ or are they pulling me away from him? And then is my confidence, is Jesus my confidence and hope? Is this demonstrated by a lifestyle that boasts of who Jesus is and what he has done? Uh, This is a great question. If, If you had a coworker that needed a place to stay for the weekend and they stayed at your house, would they walk away going, Something was different there. Not sure if I could quite put my finger on it, but there was something different about them. The way that their household was run, the way that they talked to their spouse, the way that they interacted with their kids, the way that they were willing to bless me, the, just the way that they lived their life, I, just something was different. Would they walk away saying that? I can think of a few people in my life where I got to do that. I got to spend a weekend at their house and it was just so clear to me that, th- that this was a house where God was first. Not because they were pushy about it or, you know, kind of overly pious, 
but just because of the way they went about their days. My great-grandparents were like this. I can just remember being at my great-grandparents' house and the way that they talked about life and where the Bible was in their house and the way that they interacted before mealtime. And, 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 you know, they had their little spats with each other and they would argue a little bit in front of us, but in the end, they would always embrace I can think about other people who aren't relatives where that was the case. I can think about staying at other people's houses where it was really clear that God wasn't first. All the conversations revolved around politics. All the conversations were negative. All the conversations made you feel like something was weighing down on you rather than being lifted up. What would people say if they stayed the weekend at your house? I want to close you with these verses from Colossians. We don't know if the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but I'll bet he did. Um, Colossians 3, starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also are you to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts. Ruling in your hearts. Um, our hearts in the scriptures are a metaphor for our desires. And he says, let your desires be ruled by the peace of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another. And so he says that we need to be taught, that there needs to be teaching that goes on that, te that tells us what does the scripture say? What does God mean by this? And then admonishing is we should probably live it. If it's true, we should do it. Right? That's what admonishing is. And so honestly, when I teach on Sunday morning, this is my goal for you, is that I can show you what the scripture says, that you believe that it was true, and that together we would encourage each other to live this way because we want to honor Christ with our lives. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Um, if that doesn't tell you music is important, I don't know what verse to read for you. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Filling your mind with music is a very powerful thing. And this is probably for the younger people more than it is for the older people. What are you listening to? What are you filling your mind with? And if you are filling your mind with things that are of the world, what are you doing to make sure that Christ is first in those places? Music is very, very powerful. It says, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we are called to live with confidence in what Christ has done, with hope in what he will do, and boasting in what he's doing in our lives right now. Let me pray. Father, we do ask that you would, for each and every one of us, draw us closer to your son this morning. Teach us what it is to meditate on him and his ways. Show us how we maybe are putting something above him and we need to reestimate what is first in our, in our lives. 
God, for those who have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would trust in his death on the cross for their sins, that he would, they would believe in his resurrection from the dead. He, he not only defeated sin, but he defeated death, and he gives new life. May today be the day of salvation for many. Father, we thank you for your son and what he's done for us. We go out in our lives longing to honor who he is and what he's done. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.